So uh, at the end of this service, we're going to be talking about this thing called planting roots. It's up here, and you guys will get all of the stuff that goes along with it. They're going to hand out journey guides and things like that. If you are new, we don't normally do this, okay? So don't be like, this is the weirdest church I've ever been to, which is probably true. <laughs> but not because of what's, what's going to happen there. So anyway, uh, we're going to have these journey guides. We're going to talk about planting roots and this journey and what it means and, and, and what it is. So don't, like, tune us out when we get there. It's kind of really important. The other thing is that next Sunday is baptisms. That's how all of you are supposed to respond. Next Sunday is baptisms. Which means even if you're not getting baptized, you still come to the party. Because we're having a party. You're like, oh, what's it going to be? Like chlorine and water? That's how churches throw parties. No! No, we are, we are barbecuing it up. So we're not doing tri-tips this year because we're trying to you know, be a little more heart healthy. So we're going to do like half chickens. So it's like, but, but like full Santa Maria style barbecue chickens, like I mean, good ones, okay? It's not like, oh, I found these 59 cents on sale, these drumsticks at the store. I mean, this is like, this is like barbecue like God intended. <laughs> Half chickens. And bread. If you're on that, uh, if you're on that low carb diet, just throw it out the window and learn how to worship Jesus properly. <laughs> We're providing the chicken and the beans and the bread. If your last name is A through L, you're bringing some type of a dessert to share and some cookies. If your last name is M through Z, you're bringing a salad or a side to share and some cookies. I just, since I get the mic, I get to throw that on the end every time. So, and some cookies. You know, if, if you're ever in doubt of what to bring to an element of it, bring some cookies. Salt. Again, that's how the Holy Spirit shows up. We know that you're a Christian if you bring cookies. So, uh, if you are new to Element, I'm sorry. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes next to the communion tables around the room. Have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on Live in Uversion. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes and questions and verses and all that goes along with today's message. And again, we've got a lot to get through today, so stay on me. Reading of God's Word, we will get started. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, You pray like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us as your people and you would teach us to understand what it means to talk to our Father who is in heaven and that we wouldn't babble like the pagans and we wouldn't worry like people who don't know you, but we'd be those who seek you as our Father and love you as you have revealed yourself to us. Amen. Have a seat. This is the Sermon on the Mount, week 28, and I feel impressed to tell you how wonderful I am to you. You're welcome. All right, if I got to point it out, maybe I'm not so wonderful. But uh, if you were here when we started the Sermon on the Mount, we did close to four months just in the first 14 verses. Uh, it's called the Beatitudes, like four months just in those. And so at, when I came to like the Lord's Prayer, I could have spent at least that long in the Lord's Prayer. But I'm only giving you four. You're welcome. See, there you go. Uh, now, there's so much to it, uh, so, so many people I listen to about it, so many books I read through it, and so I have to sort through what things do I think are important for you to know, and then what things that I think are just kind of really cool about it. I have a friend named Gene. My friend Gene always says, when you start talking about stuff like this, it just goes over my head. And so, I don't want to go over your head, I want to hit you right in the head. 
That's what I'm aiming for, okay? So I'm going to give you what I think is, is going to work. If you do want to check out more, you can go to our website, ourelement.org, and click on the Sermon on the Mount page. On the top, it has a link to some books. And you can read those books and check it out, and then you'll know more as well. Uh, but that said, today we're going to go through the entire Lord's Prayer. Last week was very practical. Uh, this week we're going through the prayer, and next week will be practical as well. But we want to look at what Jesus is saying in it. Got lots to it. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully by this point, the Sermon on the Mount is opening up all sorts of new questions, expanding your understanding and your mind. As Jesus gets into uh, the Lord's Prayer, you've got to understand where we've come from so far. Okay? He starts the Sermon on the Mount talking about the Beatitudes. Blessed the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It starts with God coming and blessing us, that our God has extended himself to us in love and grace and hope and truth. And out of that, we understand our blessing. We begin to live differently in the world. And so we begin to live as salt and light to the world around us. And we live as salt and light in the world around us. We start to worship God more rightly. And so we worship in righteousness. And what Jesus does there is he then starts talking about all these negative things that can pull us out of relationship with God and relationship with other people. And these are things like breaking of O's and anger and lust. But what he does when he gets to chapter 6 is he flips all that on its head. In chapter 6, he starts talking about all of these really, really good things. And when we do those good things for ourselves and not for him, those good things can also pull us out of relationship with him and with other people. This goes from giving to prayer itself. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15, this is what we're looking at this morning when Jesus talks about prayers. This is what he says, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, which is a good thing, you should be praying, it is assumed. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray that your father who is in se- pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Uh, this kind of an our vernacular would be a way of saying, don't be over-righteous in how you approach God before other people. That's what he's saying. Praying doesn't make you better than anyone else. It can show other people that you live for God if you let it, but it doesn't make you better than anybody else. And if you think praying in front of people makes you all holy and righteous and everybody adores you because of it, then stop praying in public and go pray in private. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Empty phrases means to stammer. If you have an NIV, it actually uses the word babbling. In it. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So when you pray, you don't do it like pagans or, or hypocrites who think they are heard because of all their words. This could be spells, it could be incantations, it could be saying the same thing over and over and over. Jesus says you just pray our Father, because God knows what you need and what you mean. Now, the word empty phrases uh, is this word, and it means, and it's batalageo. Batalageo, it comes from two Greek words, batos, which means to stammer, and logos, which means word. You're stammering your words. It's not because you have like a speech problem, it's because you're just stammering over and over and over. You think that's what makes you more and more holy. Uh, the other word there's as many words is the word polylogia, and it actually kind of rhymes with diarrhea. And a lot of scholars actually take that and point those things together because it's kind of like diarrhea of the mouth. The poly or palu in it has the, the connotation of pollution. 
Like, don't pollute the air with all of these words that you're saying. Don't batalogeia, don't polylogeia. Just say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when, if you read this and you see, you know, don't babble like the pagans, don't heap up these empty phrases, what does that mean? What did they, what did they babble like? Because the assumption is that the original hearers knew what Jesus was talking about. And so it kind of makes you think, well, if we knew what Jesus was talking about, would that change how we pray? Would it help us to understand a little bit more of what he's talking about? I think the answer to that is yes. So I'm going to show you a few ways pagans prayed that the audience would have known or something like. So the first one I'm going to give you is the ancient prayer to Amun-Ra, the Egyptian prayer to the sun god. It's kind of funny because a lot of Egyptian gods have you know references to the sun, but this is Amun-Ra. So it goes like this. Hail to thee, Amun-Ra, Lord of the thrones of the earth, the oldest existence, ancient of heaven, support of all things, chief of the gods, Lord of truth, father of gods, maker of men and beasts and herbs. I think that's funny. The god of cilantro right there. Maker of all things above and below, Lord of wisdom, Lord of mercy, most loving, opener of every eye. This is still just the intro. Hail to thee, thou one with many heads, sleepest when all others sleep, adoration unto thee. When you start to address Amun-Ra, how do you know when you've said enough words to actually get his attention? When does Amun-Ra go, oh, oh, I guess he's talking to me. You know, he said the, the god of cilantro. Well, that one must be me. I guess I'll answer, answer that. On and on and on. What does it take to get a God's attention? You know, Amun-Ra, the last time I talked to you, maybe I left out one of your names. You know, I still want you to hear me and what I'm saying, God of herbs and loving spices and biscuits. Please hear me, right? This is the Akkadian prayer to the moon god. And get ready, you get caught up in the moon god right now. Here it goes. Father Nana, Lord and Shah, hero of the gods. Father Nana, the Lord, great Lord Anu, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord Sin, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord Ur, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord of Igishagrol, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord of the Shining Crown, hero of the gods. Father Nana, who is grandly perfected in kingship, hero of the gods. Father Nana, who is solemnly advances in garments of princeliness, hero of the gods. Ferocious bull, whose horn is thick, whose legs are perfected. Now I know, Father Nana is just waiting for like, you got nice legs, right? Oh, he must be talking to me because I'm the God with, with the nice legs. I mean, how many times do you got to say Father Nana or, hey, your legs are really nice? Do other gods not have nice legs and he's got the best legs of them all? Is he upset if you don't notice his calves? I mean, I, will we not listen if you don't admire his legs? And, and horn and legs are all euphemism for something else, by the way. Okay, now... Don't leave Matthew. Stay there, but I'm going to read you some stuff from 1 Kings chapter 18. This is something that Jews also would have been familiar with. In 1 Kings 18, there's this confrontation between a prophet of God known as Elijah and these prophets of Baal. Okay, and there's this, there's this, uh, all this wood set in this fire, and they're like, you know, we're going to pray and see if your God answers. And at, at the end, you know, the God of the Scriptures answers just like that. It's amazing. But the prophets of Baal are out there trying to get their God to answer. And this is what happens in First Kings eighteen twenty six. Says, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. So that's four to six hours. O Baal, answer us! But there was no voice, and no one answered. So step two, and they limped. This is like a, a little shuffle around the fire. It's like you dance like a playa, like that kind of thing, okay? <laughs> around the altar that they had, they had made. So step one, yellow four, four to six hours. Step two, he doesn't start listening. Dubstep, around the fire. That's what you do. Verse 28, uh, step three, and they cried aloud. So you shout louder. When that doesn't work, step four, and cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. So here's your steps, right? You call out four to six hours. Doesn't answer. Well, you know, then you dubstep. Start dancing around down the around the wood. If that doesn't work. You shout louder like you're in a foreign country and they can't understand you. 
So you start, ah, as loud as you can get. And then, you know, the next step after that, you start physically harming yourself as a way of saying, I am shedding my blood. Pay attention to me. And when that doesn't work, step five, and as midday passed, they raved on. This means frantic prophesying until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Keep trying to get the God's attention. I will give you something. I'll give you more and more and more. I will burn something. I'll burn someone. You'll like that. That's got to be what it is. See, there's a deep wound inside of humanity that is always asking this primal question. Is God listening or are the gods listening or are they angry with me if they are listening? Have I offended them? I think that goes down to the primary place that we all start, that we are all born with a sin nature and that we have broken relationship with God because we all sin. So we have this thing inside of us and we think God's got to be mad at us. You know, and if God's up there, he's on a cloud, is he offended with me? What do I have to do? Do I got to shout, dance, and cut myself, and get frantic, and say words that make no sense, and wash, rinse, repeat his name over and over, and talk about his thick horn and his great legs? What do I have to do to get rid of my primal anxiety that no one is listening, and if they are, that they're angry with me? Now, my question is, is that just a wound that they carried around back then, or is that still true today? It's still true today. It is. Uh, We think we're so much more advanced and less primitive, but the same questions still linger. You can even find Christian communities that do this and live this way. And part of the problem is, if you serve a man-made God, you will first shape that God, and that God will then shape you. And if your God is violent and punishes and banishes and torments, you will become violent, and it will be easy to just say, oh, well, my violence is something I do because my God's that way. If your God is petty and judging and condemning and only likes people who look like him, then you'll become that way as well. Whether that's like the Ku Klux Klan or college professors who have been educated beyond their intelligence and think everybody needs to be just like them. Everybody does it. If your God loves money, you will love money. You may even give some money away, but it's all about what you get out of it when you give. You shape your God and your God shapes you. Now, I know a lot of you probably spend your free time reading like third uh, century Igiving tablets, right? You do that on your spare time? Just checking. Okay. Uh, This is a third century tablet to Jupiter Grabovius. This is how it starts. Jupiter Grabovius, if if you're having like a firstborn, haven't thought of a name, that's a good one right there. Okay. It's like, oh, who's that? Oh, this is little Jupiter Grabovius. Okay. Great. Jupiter Grabovius, if on the Fissian Mount, fire has arisen, or if in the nation of Agubium, the ode preparations have been omitted, let it be as if they were made. Jupiter Grabovius, if in your sacrifice there has been any flaw, any defect, any ritual violation, any fraud, any error, if in your sacrifice there is a flaw, either seen or unseen. How does a third century prayer to Jupiter Grabovius begin? It begins at a base level of terror and fear. The last time we worshipped you, I fear I might have forgotten something. I might have done something wrong. Oh, please overlook it. It's that primal anxiety that God is mad and we do not know where we stand. And into all of this, Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's amazing. Jesus says, remember the real God's position towards you is one of favor and blessing and generosity. He has reached out his hand to you. That's how the Sermon on the Mount starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who have nothing going for them. The unreligious, the people who don't know anything about God, blessed are the poor in spirit. Our God wants to give us what we truly need. When we come to him, we simply say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
This prayer of Jesus is groundbreaking in any prayers that have ever been written down or said. All the fear, all the anxiety begins to pass away. We humbly come and say, you have everything I could ever need. I could ever want. I'm going to surrender my life to you. Can we talk? And God says, yes, we can talk. I mean, imagine a God that is not shaped by us, but a God who has revealed himself through his son. And this God says, I'm going to adopt you into my family. And so when you talk to me, it is our father. That's what the prayer is. You know, this God has been revealed. So what does that do? That then shapes us to be more and more like him. Our God knows what we need before we even ask Him because our God is a giver. He is perfect in holiness, and yet worship is good for us. That's why we worship Him, because we were made with this innate thing to worship, and so we worship Him. Our God, though, does not have low self-esteem. He does not wait for us to sit there and tell Him how great His eleven herbs and spices and His horns and His legs are. That is not our God. Our God is pleasurably disposed towards His children, and we get to say, Our Father in heaven. I think Jesus says, You know the fear of babbling. You know what it's like to try and get all of your self-worth from yourself or from your many words in your prayers. You know all the things of trying to remember all the names of these different gods. It is simply, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Nowhere in all religious history has a God been described and laid out as brilliantly and as cleanly as Jesus just did. So this is the prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or guide us away from all that destroys us. That's the prayer. The entire thing is 57 words in Greek. Just 57 words. And Jesus covers so much. Uh, First off, he covers the spiritual realm. Now, for you and I, we live in America. America is essentially birthed out of the Enlightenment over the last couple hundred years. It's the, the waters that our culture metaphorically swims in, where we like the scientific method, you know, and that's what's real. My five senses, I can see it in the lab. Can I taste it, touch it, smell it, see it? If not, then it's not real. But the problem is we all know there's something beyond our five senses. We all know that because most of us at some point in our lives fall in love. And that is beyond our five senses. And so Jesus begins, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts with the idea that there is more than just the physical. There's more than you can taste and touch and see and measure in a lab. I mean, today you could leave here. You can go home. You can pay your bills. You can put gas in your car. You can go get some groceries. Maybe you know someone who's it's like their birthday. You're going to take them a present. Uh, you live in Santa Maria, so you get the wind and the smell. Lucky you, you know. And sometimes we forget between the gas and the car and the wind and the smell in Santa Maria and and your TPS reports and your red stapler that life is more than just material. So we remind ourselves of this thing, our Father who is in heaven. Jesus says this starts where you need to remember that. God is present around you. Holiness is there. And we forget that our neighbor, you know, isn't just a nice guy or a pain in the butt, but he's actually made in the image of God. So Jesus says you start, our Father in heaven. See, we lose our awareness. That's why Jesus resets that focus. We acknowledge that there's a realm beyond the imperial, that there is a spiritual dimension because everything is spiritual. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Now, bread is very physical. I mean, if you're hungry and you're starving, there is like nothing more detailed than bread. You get bread. God is in the details and God is in that next meal. And so the prayer is spiritual. There's a realm that's bigger and more expansive than you can imagine. There's a holiness to things because of God. Secondly, it is physical. Yes, God is cosmic in scope, but God is also in the next meal. And it's also relational because the next part of the prayer is, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. In 57 Greek words, Jesus covers spiritual, physical, and that we're relational creatures as well. And this is important, because if we only talk about God in the physical realm, we'd be like a lot of world relief organizations which do a good job, but they run around and meet all these physical needs, but they never care about people's eternal souls. And we need to. You know, if we just went all spiritual, it'd be like, oh, well, the physical doesn't really matter. We go live on hills like a bunch of monks and never engage culture like God calls us to. I mean, Jesus shows that God is transcendent to all these things, that you and I living in the kingdom of God means it transcends all of our lives. Jen Lockman wrote this, The arc of the prayer spans the whole of cosmic reality with its heights and depths. Now, I'm going to blow your mind here. All right, Ricky Bobby, ready to have your mind blown? Okay. This prayer also deals with time. It deals with linear motion. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Debtors are people who have done things in the past to hurt us. Our debts are things we have done to other people to hurt them in the past. That's the past. But he talks about bread. Bread is the present. Bread is now, this moment. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the future. It encompasses all of time. Forgiveness, the past, those things are destroying us. Present, bread, and bread can even be metaphorically something gnawing away at your heart and guidance for the future, all of our fears and worries and what's coming. All in 57 Greek words. It's amazing. Spiritual, physical, relational, past, present, future. Jesus is brilliant. Daryl Johnson writes this, To pray the Lord's Prayer is to participate in heaven's invasion of earth. It's a prayer that says, God make this world as it should be. Now, the prayer also has a structure to it. It's divided into two halves. It's a progression. Its first half is your name, your kingdom, your will. And then it shifts, right, to the second half. Our bread, our forgiveness, our deliverance. God, guide us. That's what we need. Now, why? Why does it do that? Because the Sermon on the Mount starts the same way. It starts with God and His blessing and you, you and I understanding who He is in that blessing. Because it's so easy to think that we come first, especially in something like prayer. We don't. Jesus always comes first. Always. Our focus must be Him first. It's really important because at the end of chapter 6, Jesus sums all this up in verse 33 and says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When you have something in your life that is just eating you raw inside, it's a thing you can't stop thinking about. It consumes you. Maybe you did something or something was done to you. Everyone you talk to, eventually it comes up in conversation. It's like the center of your metaphorical universe. All of your planets revolve around it. Jesus says, stop, stop, and focus. Our Father in heaven. We say, Jesus, it's your passion and your desire and your peace and your love and your righting of the wrongs and your plans. Jesus says you start with God's agenda and not your own. And after you start there, then it comes to your bread and what you need. Because it's not that your needs aren't important. We just need to have them in the right perspective. Because sometimes our needs and our things, they own us. And when the prayer shifts to God first, our focus shifts. And the things that own us maybe don't own us so much anymore. And Jesus starts to own us. I mean, of all the things that eat you alive, you place them at the feet of Jesus, you bring it to God, and see if that perspective doesn't bring freedom. And Jesus does this in 57 words. 
And you can't tweet it, I know, too long for tweeting, but you know, it's still an amazing feat in what it is. And what if we actually saw the world this way? Jesus comes first, everything is holy, even bread has its place. Uh, God's agenda is larger than ours, and God is always concerned more about His agenda than our agenda. And yet we can place everything, spiritual, physical, relational, all the unknowns in His hands, and is capable of leading and guiding us through all of those things. I mean, that's just amazing, amazing. I mean, if you have stress about bread, where's my next meal coming from? Something physical, where do you start? God, you are holy and you are good, and I am going to trust you. Now, can we talk about the bread? <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of where it is. And the perspective is we put our needs before him, and those needs lose power and hold over us. Now, what's kind of interesting is when you get to the end of it, uh, you know, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, it seems like that should be the end. If you've got a Bible and you're looking at it, that's where the crazy indents kind of stop, and it kind of moves back out. But Jesus kind of sums up, this prayer in verse 14 like this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's like, oh, by the way. You're like, what? what what's he even saying? I want to talk about that with you for a minute because there's been a lot of blood spilled and ink spilled over, over this. Uh, why does Jesus hit this? You know, holy God, bread, God's will. In the prayer, he does say, forgive us our debts. We have forgiven our debtors. But why in the end does he get to this thing and decides to expound on if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly father forgive you. But if you not forgive the trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. Well, the word forgive here, it's word of me. It comes from two words. The word epi, which means to, uh, or apo, which means to, which means from. And this other word, aphemi, which actually means to send away. So when you have unforgiveness in your heart, what do you do with it? Someone's done something that has hurt you. What do you do? You send it away. You send it away from you. That's forgiveness. I'm not carrying this anymore. I'm sending it away. Their, their trespasses or their sins, it's this word, tomata. I think it's really funny because you say tomato, I say tomata. Like that. Uh, the, the, the root word of this is this word, it's called pipto. And it means to have unlevel footing. It means to slip. And so pipto means he slips and mistakes. It's like the rolling of the eyes when someone looks at you and rolls their eyes. A sarcastic comment. This thing that somebody said, maybe when they weren't even thinking about it. And of all the words referring to sins in the Bible, this is almost one of the most grounded ones. Because it's how we wound each other every day in thousands of ways without even knowing it. Anybody alive in the 80s remember Millie Vanilli? Okay, good. This is going to go over much better than last time. Okay, so Millie Vanilli. It's, it's always bad when your cultural metaphor just falls flat. Okay, so great. So Millie Vanilli, they had this band, and they had other guys singing, and Millie Vanilli did videos, and they lip-synced, and they told everybody it was them. Now, it wasn't them, and it came out, and it was this huge thing. I never knew why. I mean, the guys who sang it, Millie Vanilli, were much better looking than the guys who sang it, so I can see why they did it. But you know, uh, And so when it came out, everybody in America is so offended. Oh, how'd you do that to me? Oh, how dare you? You lied. It's a pipto. It's a slip. That's what it was. You're driving down the freeway. Somebody cuts you off, you know, because they want to get off first and they weren't, you know, want to go behind you. By the way, that's me. You know, and they pulled in front of you and then they pulled over. That's a pipto. It's a slip. You know, maybe somebody flips you off. See it as a pipto. Maybe you're talking to somebody and you think they ignored you. Most people don't really ignore other people when they think about it. I say that for my own benefit, by the way. Uh, you know, it, and what it is when you think someone's ignore you, it's a pipto. It's a slip. You learn to forgive those slips. It's all these little things that get between people. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It has a very transactional feel to it, right? 
It's like this whole thing where Jesus starts with this beautiful God who loves and gives grace. He's your father. And, and oh, by the way, if you don't do A, well, then God won't do B. But if you do A, God will do B. And based in the context, though, I think this, in the Sermon on the Mount so far, I think it's less a transaction and more about the statement of reality of life with God. Let me put it like this. Uh, any of you guys ever have a fear of, like, suffocation? Anybody? Just me, really? I'm a sci-fi fan. I always think somehow I'm going to be sucked out to space. Okay, look. And I'm going to die. I think that's going to happen to me. That's probably my worst nightmare, being drowned or stuck in the space. Now, Jason, is there any somewhere? Where did Jason go? There he is. Jason's coming. Where's your... Last time you were so ready for me. Okay, now, anybody ever been snorkeling? Okay, so some of you. So you go out snorkeling, you stick your head in the water, you got your little little tube sticking out the top. I made him swim for service and he was too embarrassed and now he just sits here, so whatever, okay. Now, this is what it looks like when you go snorkeling, right? You got this thing and it's sticking out in the water so you can breathe because your head's under the water, you need air. Now, how, how does... Now, okay, actually, let me give you the definition for uh, suffocate first. To impede the respiration of, right? So, so you breathe in, you breathe out. So when you're under the water with a snorkel, what does it allow you to do? Breathe. And what do you do? In, in, and out. That's, that's how you breathe when you're underneath the water. Now, your lungs function that way, right? They kind of expel air and they get, get air back in. It's a rhythmic motion. Now, what if, the, what if the snorkel didn't function right? What if you could only get air in? What would happen? You would die. Because <laughs> you've got to get air back out to refill your lungs. See, it's easy to read the Lord's Prayer as some type of transaction thing right there. But I think what Jesus is doing is he's saying it's functioning on a whole different level. The love of God that flows to you is the love that's supposed to flow back out of you. And if you were to come along and you were to crimp or to duct tape this and you couldn't get air back out of you, what's going to happen? You're going to die. You're going to... Sorry. You're going to die. I see, it's not that the air isn't there. The air is there. It's not that the love of God isn't there. It's not that His grace and forgiveness isn't there. And so what happens is, is we're crimping it off because we're refusing to give it back out again. That's simply what's happening. You're not, you're not getting it back out again. I mean, I talk to people all the time and they say things like, oh, they hurt me and there's no way I could ever let that go. I think we're inhibiting the flow of God's love to and through us. We always like to split things up like this. We love to say like hateful thoughts and words towards other people, and yet we always think God and I are okay. In what world is that true? In what world can that be true? I mean, we hold things. When we hold things, us and God are not all right. It's not. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount and in this prayer, Jesus shows it is God, us, and other people together. I think what Jesus is saying, if you really want to know God, his love, and his compassion, then you will have to, at the very least, you will have to extend his love to other people around you. That's how we know what God's love is really like. That's how we know that we actually begin to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because our God reaches to save us from the pit and the sins that we have placed ourselves into. He pulls us out of those. He extends himself to us. That's the gospel. We were lost. Our God saved us. Our God found us. Our God brought us home. Which means for you and I, the questions become, is there anything you need to bring to the foot of Jesus today? Is there anything you need to stop telling everyone about you about, oh, how wrong this thing was or that? You need to start working towards letting it go. 
I mean, not that it's always that easy. I understand it's a work in progress, but starting to send it away in the way where you start to try and maybe build some reconciliation there. Is there anything that you've done to someone else? And maybe you need to have the honesty and the integrity to step up and seek forgiveness for it. What the Lord's Prayer does is it teaches you that today is the day. Today is the day you do it. You do that with honest words to God and honest words to other people. All in 57 Greek words. I mean, he probably even had this idea. Scuba, that'll make sense. I mean, it is amazing. This is, this is why we talk about communion every week. You know, it's why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because our great God took away the sin that separated us from him and also from each other. This is what it reminds us of. That our God is that good. And we understand that when that love flows into us. And I think we only get it when it flows back out of us as well. It's our lives are meant to be respiration. In and out. In and out. Living the kingdom of God like the Sermon on the Mount talks about. Because that's how you actually live out the Lord's Prayer. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys, as I said, to take communion. Be some deacons and elders in the back. Uh, if you guys need prayer, maybe you're in a spot right now where you're feeling like, I just can't forgive, I don't know how to begin to work through that, we'll pray with them. Uh, they'd love to start walking with you through some of those things. Because it's very important to learn how to respirate in the Christian life. To understand God's love and to breathe it back out. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. So you have the opportunity every week. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he's done. Uh, there's some food and stuff in the back, and we invite you to grab something to eat, maybe meet some other people. Maybe you cut somebody off getting in the parking lot today. Maybe they cut you off and you flipped them off, but maybe they didn't see it. Go apologize anyway. Take them out to lunch, something. I don't know. Ah, people, what are you doing? Anyway, uh, you know, maybe something like that. But I really hope, like, we're going to do a couple songs and bring you together with communion and stuff. And after that, we're going to talk to you a little bit about this planting roots thing. Please don't forget what we talked about this morning. In a Christian life, we need to respirate that. We need to breathe in and breathe out that love and the grace and the goodness of God. Because He is the one who has saved us and redeemed us and called us home. And we live in that. And taking that back out to everybody we come into contact with. Because our God is that good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us how to be a people who surrender all of ourselves to you. Who honor you in a way that also honors those around us. That the grace that you have so generously given to us would be the grace that flows back out of us again to people around us. That you would teach us, as your children, to not pray and work out of fear and anxiety, but we can just pray our Father in heaven, knowing that our Father is pleasurably disposed towards us. And understand the great pleasure you have of us. We'd also understand how you've extended that to others as well and that we would see your image placed upon those around us and honor and love them in the same way that you do that the revelation of who you are would change us so that we would love in the way you love we would hope in the way you hope and that we would give grace upon grace upon grace because you've given it to us teach us to be a people who live and love as your children. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.